welcome to Interchain FM, where we dive into the frontier of the blockchain space. We're now in the third generation of blockchain tech, where a burgeoning multi-chain ecosystem is about to explode into what we call the decentralized web. Where Ethereum is to the mainframe computing era of the internet, Cosmos is to the PC era. If you're seeking alpha in the Cosmos ecosystem, look no further. This is the destination for your exponential learning experience. Interchain FM is where you can get the download on all of the high signal projects, building bridges to one another, and how you can participate in the future of the internet. Today, we're here talking to the creator of Cosmos, Jake Wan. Jake Wan, welcome to the podcast. This is the first time you're here. Hello. Yeah, well, nice to be here. Yeah, glad you're back in action. And interestingly enough, the timing has worked well with you taking AIB over again, Tenement Inc. or Ignite or New Tenement now. And coming back into action full swing with the Adam 2.0 proposal, which is what we're here to talk about. So the big question is, why is the founder of Cosmos opposed to a proposal that is supposedly going to improve the utility of the Atom? Let's go right at it. <laughs> we're going to go straight into it. I don't think you need any introduction, so I'm not going to spend time doing that i think most people tuning in are going to have at least some context about it i've also done a primer video to give everyone just the download of the key differences between the two so let's just enumerate the things that you find problematic about it i think you know i'm going to provide a foil for you jay uh which is you know steel man some of the arguments for adam 2.0 because people who voted yes on it just want to see Adam do something and be useful. That being said, we want to provide critical analysis of what's exactly being proposed here. So, mm-hmm. yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So, okay. There's um, largely two problems. Forward to try to categorize the problems. There's uh, there's problems with the white paper, and then there's problems with how this thing was pushed. So, here's the problem with the white paper. There's a lot, but let's just just start with some. Maybe the main one is that it's you know you, you can tell from the original, the first white paper, and then it, the first Adam Dupuno version, and then there's a second and a third, and the third one got submitted, and uh, there's basically 40 million atoms, or you know at the time it was a uh, 500 million atoms going into Treasury, and that is. It's not controlled by the Cosmos Hub governance, and uh, you know there's a select number of council members, and this was you know the, the justification for for this large inflation was that oh we should turn Adam into money, and if we want to turn Adam into money, it better not be exponentially inflationary, and and so in other words, supposedly they're trying to create turn Adam into a non-inflationary, deflationary token. And in order to do so, they say, well, we better get some atoms up front so we can do some development. But when you actually look at the paper, it doesn't make it deflationary. I mean, they talk about, oh, there's going to be, there's going to be this transition phase and the steady phase. But, you know, they say towards the end, we're still going to make uh, two thirds bonded 
Okay. And if two thirds of the atoms are not bonded, then we're going to go back to the old issuance model. You know, I mean, not to mention using governance to create a large inflation like this, you know, like when is it going to stop really? There's no 21 million hard, hard limit bound like Bitcoin has. It seems like governments can issue coins, mint coins whenever they want at this point afterwards. And in fact, after the Adam 2.0 paper started passing, and it looked like it was going to pass almost unanimously because 90 something percent, you know, less than 1% were saying no in the forum. And they were already changing the number of tranches from 10 to 12. So the whole premise that we need to create, you know, why we need to create atoms up front wasn't right. It's not an actually proposed to turn an atom into a deflationary token. In fact, the only thing they needed to do, I mean, the same thing can be achieved with Cosmos as is. All we need to do is remove the minimum bound of inflation of uh, 7%, because right now the inflation rate can only go from 7 to 20%. And naturally, as interchange security is adopted and there's more revenue being earned through interchange security, um, the inflation rate would go down. I mean, with a bit of change, we can even make it go negative because if it's really nice, really profitable to bond your atoms to earn transaction fees, earn rewards, because you know there, there are many users in the system, then there would be too, too many atoms bonded. And in order to keep two-thirds bonded, there would need to be a penalty. Right? So the inflation rate would even be negative. And then, okay, if we need cash, if we need capital, on the Cosmos hub, then there's already a mechanism that lets you do that. And it's the tax and community pool system. We just need to increase the tax rate. Currently it's 2%. We could increase to uh, four or six or 10 or you know, 20, really whatever we want just about. And that revenue would go into the community pool. And from there, from the community pool, we can, uh, we can be careful in how we spend it. And we've been doing this already the whole time, right? So there's no reason why we wouldn't be able to, to send money or atoms from the community pool. Sorry, it's not money, but it's the best form of money we have right now, right? Towards the treasury DAO and uh, for a particular purpose. So there should be a contract. There should be some sort of... It should be anytime we send money from the community pool to anything, really, like... Treasury DAO or a multi-state address, there should be a well-drafted contract that specifies what the money's going to be used for. But anyways, so in short, the biggest problem is it's like it's it's doing like a Jedi mind trick to try to justify a large half a billion dollar inflation. Going to a treasury that uh, is not the community pool, and so it's more centralized there. And, you know, that's one problem. And, uh, you know, if you wanted to do this, if you really wanted funds, you didn't have to do this anyways. All you need to do is increase the tax. Another big problem is uh, too much emphasis in liquid security and liquid staking with really no consideration for the risks involved with liquid staking. So it's the second problem I'll talk about. So there's a lot that can go wrong with liquid staking. We don't know all the ways it can go wrong because it's really kind of like a piece of a Lego block, you know? And this one happens to be pretty dangerous. And, you know, depending on how you mix and match it with other things that's going on outside of, outside of liquid staking, it'll blow up in different ways. Okay, in general, with liquid staking, there's governance risks. 
there's a hostile takeover risk or, you know, like liquidity crunch based risks. And there's also self-sabotage risk. And there's also this risk of, you know, just uh, delegators and validators compounding in order to get more representation of atoms uh, and then just generally the whole marketplace being vulnerable to any sudden crash or any sudden, you know, any amount of slashing. So I'll talk about some of these. Here's the governance risk. So imagine, say, Quicksilver, liquid staking application, does a really good job. And it's like its own and uses interchain accounts to manage liquid staking. And it does such a good job of implementing liquid staking that everyone goes over and liquid stakes there. It's like the best place to do it. The problem is once you have enough people going to Quicksilver or any other liquid staking application, that application has that much governance control. And uh, of course, it's, it's natural for the application to give control of governance back to the stakers, right? But, you know, there's also, there's two things wrong here. I mean, imagine like if 70% of the staking of, uh, of the Cosmos hub came from liquid staking from Quicksilver, right? And there's, there's two large categories of problems that can happen here. One is now we're beholden to the software of Quicksilver. Maybe there's a bug. Uh, if, if something goes wrong, then uh, a single bug there or anywhere, you know, in any Quicksilver app or any liquid staking application can, can take over Cosmos Hub's governance. That's a pretty huge deal. Another problem is this creates the incentive to devise ways to utilize governance power in the application. And so it's just like to say, you know, uh, power begets corruption or absolute power begets absolute corruption. And with a, with a popular application like that, you know, it's going to be hard, very hard, or maybe impossible. Yeah. Before you move to your next point, I want to elaborate on the pitfalls of liquid staking in the current naive design that it is being proposed, you know, in such a way as to basically circumvent the 14-day unbind period that is inherent to Tenement BFT. So, I mean, you know, if we look at liquid staking on Ethereum POS, you can basically infer that something like this is definitely going to happen on Cosmos. So, like on Ethereum between Lido and Coinbase, that's 40% of the voting power for all of ETH POS. So, now we have gone from a relatively decentralized proof of work based chain to a completely devastatingly centralized proof of stake chain. So given that Cosmos is proof of stake, like we are not immune to that if there were some extra protocol thing like liquid staking on top of our normal BFT proof of stake, that kind of circumvent security in that way, you know, which is why I call it. It's 40%, which is devastating. So that means any regulator comes in and imposes some law like, you know, OFAC sanctions. It's a capture chain effectively, right? Because you just have to go to Coinbase, which is, you know, within US jurisdiction. And you just have to go to Lido, wherever, wherever they are incorporated in. So, or I guess, you know, you could go to the Lido DAO and it's the validator topology is still not more decentralized than what ETH proof of work was. 
So, I mean, you could just take a look at that and and use that as a lesson to peer into the future of what could happen to Cosmos. Because right now we're at a much smaller scale than Ethereum, um, which is why these problems like aren't here at our doorsteps yet. But they're going to come like when when Cosmos gets big enough, like we're going to fall into the same trajectory if we don't take the steps to like take precaution. Well, Django, tell us more why we shouldn't be, you know, why we should be wary of liquid staking. You're doing a better job than that. Well, it's just the way it's currently being proposed is a naive design. You know, I think the intention is great, obviously, because people want to double dip, basically. Kill two birds with one stone. Kill two birds with the same underlying collateral. And there is a way forward to be able to do this. I mean, I don't have a good answer for the Cosmos hub yet, but, you know, like Osmosis Superfluid Staking and Interfluid Staking works, but that's because it's a DEX and it has collateral tokens that you could stake. So we could reason about these things and implement something like Superfluid Staking for the hub, but, you know, just not in the naive model that's currently being proposed right now because that's that's just bad for security. Yeah, that's one thing. And it leads to centralization. And I've talked to some of the authors, you know, they they recognize that, yeah, it does trade off decentralization and that's not been solved. Honestly, um, so, you know, when I saw Adam 2.0, I was like, oh, no, we got to <laughs> fix Adam 2.0. Um, so I try to create a, a constitution that tries to capture some of the fixes. And, and part of the solution there, one of the solutions there was um, was to limit liquid staking by limiting the amount of entertained accounts staking possible. Where um, if there's too much staking through entertained accounts, then uh, some kind of tax tax would kick in so there's a disincentive. But you know, I realized there's even just with any amount of liquid staking, there's a strange risk of self-sabotage, right? So you're, imagine we have like advanced crypto markets and there's a shorting market. So you can take just about any token and create a market where you can short it. We should go there. Eventually we'll get there for, for doing a good job. But when you combine liquid staking tokens for say, you know, a particular validator, and then you, um, you short it, you have an incentive to double sign your validator. And so, so the problem is basically when you, you have insiders, you're giving incentive for insiders in a validator company to sabotage their own validator. I'm not fully understanding when price starts falling precipitously. No, no, no. There's, no? no, no, no. What, what it is is, you know, when the liquid staking token gives the power of, say, validator sysops employees to at any moment decrease the value of the liquid staking token. So they can slash their validator at any time, right? Sorry, what's the incentive for them to slash themselves? With the shorting market. With the shorting market, you win when the value of something goes down. You can mix and match that with leverage, for example. So, you know, with a short, when you short your own liquid staking token, you can make money by slashing your own validator. Why? Because slashing your validator data does what? It decreases. Well, let's let's say I'm an employee. Let's say uh, I have no stake in this validator company. So I'm just getting paid. I have some shares in the company, whatever, but I don't have that much stake. 
Okay. And, uh, but I have the ability to double sign for this validator because I have access to the infrastructure. Now, if I borrow some money from someone, buy some liquid staking tokens, or, you know, or if, if I borrow money and leverage, get more money, and then buy a bunch of liquid staking tokens, and then I short it, that means as soon as I double sign for this validator, I would have made a lot of money. And I can do this just about at any time. It's in my control because I, you know, as a sysops person for a validator company, I can do it at any time. I'm missing the part where, like, what is the point of double signing? Is the thesis that if a DevOps employee double signs for that validator, the mm -hmm. thesis is that the price will go down because more atom is burned? No, the, because the way, you know, staking works and slashing works, right? The liquid staking token represents the amount of atoms you would get back after slashing. So, therefore, if a validator gets slashed, the amount of atoms you can get back through liquid staking tokens goes down. And you're saying that... So, that therefore, the value of the liquid staking goes down immediately. And assuming that the, the amount that they leveraged and shorted is above the collateral value of no i mean it, it, it's well okay so they're just an employee right so yeah they yeah so if they don't have enough stay right they're just incentivized to do this yeah exactly so okay enumerating an out of protocol sort of social dynamic um, um maybe yeah i suppose so but it's a dynamic that probably exists just about any validator mm -hmm. Okay, some like rogue employees. So you're saying we cannot assume that even employees within validator companies are honest actors. So there's that. Yeah, we, we can't. We generally can't. Yeah. So as soon as there's a, you know, that's why we, we have to engineer things right and, and to watch out for risks like this. Yeah. The main problem, I think, is not only that there's this kind of risk, but no one's talking about the risks of liquid staking enough that we understand all the risks. It's just that there is a bit of insular conversations within Cosmos just because, you know, Ethereum has run into um, a lot of these problems. You know, they've had lending and borrowing markets and vaults, yield strategies, all of that at least, you know, a year and a half before we did. You know, we're like in Cosmos, we're still building all of those protocols out. And it, it's good to take a lesson from all of the hacks that have been, you know, observed in the Ethereum ecosystem because we could learn a lot, right? Mm -hmm. But it just seems like, you know, when I talk to a lot of the Cosmos people, there's like less awareness about some of them, even though some of the same mistakes were made. Mm -hmm. So the hope yeah. is that... You know, this goes to, I guess I'll go back and forth. This is a problem with the way... I mean, there, there are a lot of problems here, but one of the problems was the way in which Adam 2.0 was pitched, right? So, like, during what, Cosmosverse? The Nuclearverse. The Nuclearverse. Oh, God. <laughs> you know, Cosmos used to be called Nuclear. Yes. Wow. <laughs> I was trying to make that joke. No one got it. <laughs> they didn't know Cosmos was called Nuclear. Yeah. And then Kim Jong-un started firing uh, missiles, and I was like, yeah, I better not do this. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, okay, so... Apparently there was what, like a, someone was saying on stage that we're going to get Adam to $1,000. So CryptoCito was asking, so is Adam going to go 1,000x? And then Zaki replied, yes. 
like a thousand X. Here's the thing, you know, on the other side of the coin, which is, you know, what happens on the inverse where Adam does go up to a thousand X, well, then there's there's clearly more incentive to unbond and dump the token than there is to stake it. And, you know, therefore, that's that's also, you know, not really good for the Cosmos hub, right? You know, which is... Well, I wouldn't say that because there, there can always be some kind of balance and still the price of the token can go up. So presumably it's gone up to a thousand because a thousand X or whatever, because, you know, one reason might be because the, the thing is actually earning revenue. And by bonding, you can earn a percent, whatever, shares of uh, all the transaction fees being generated. So in Yeah, but right run, now that's only, that's up to 20, 20%. So what do you mean by 20%? Uh, that's okay. So that's the other thing is like, you talked about the inflation rate of Adam, right? I mean, how else do they, do people generate yield? Other okay. than like putting it on DAX, I guess, um, but they're not earning yield. What it's supposed to be. Okay. So here's what the Cosmos Hub was, was um, pitched as and what the, the Adam token model was right, and should be and say, we let many blockchains Basically, we solved the scaling problem. You know how Bitcoin is always talking about, oh, yeah. we got to solve the scaling problem, Ethereum too, and they just didn't know how to solve the scaling problem. We, we made federated side chains a reality. Yeah, well, there's, there's one more step we need to do in the very least, and that's ICS1. That's basically, so the Cosmos Hub is run by one validator set. We have to enable the same validator set to run many more blockchains in parallel. Why? Because every blockchain that you need to run, because you need the capacity you need, you need to support more users, right? Is transaction fee revenue. It's super profitable to run a blockchain. In ICS one for the consumer chains that they are providing security for, are they earning fees in the consumer chain token? Like let's say USDC, for example, or is it? Yeah. It should be the uh, cons- you know the chain. fee token on the consumer chain, yeah. And we right. can we can say you know yeah. I mean we can say you should also support you know this token and that token perhaps I don't know, but where we can be permissionless and say it doesn't matter, just give us a percent. You know I think that's fine. The so- problem with that is you know in the Cosmos context where we basically have zero fees, right? We have a highly competitive fee market. Where do you see? people like validators earning a meaningful amount of fees because i don't okay. see that all right so i'll say this you know generally people will pay for convenience okay yes and and people are already paying a shit ton of money for financial transactions and if you if you, if you spend with a credit card it's it's what like i don't know it can be up to like 20 cents or some percent you send a wire three percent yeah and there's a minimum amount to it, denominated in cents, right? And when you send a bank wire transfer, it's like $25. And then sometimes the recipient charges you, you know? So if we do better than that, I think people will have no problem paying, right? And then some people will say, oh, but like, it's just going to go towards zero. And and uh, if we try to limit the supply, then um, uh, that's bad. We don't want to limit the supply and, and create an artificial uh, scarcity. And I'd say, um, no, it's not true. That's exactly what we want to do. Uh, we don't want every validator through ICS1 to you know, run you know, a million parallel shard chains. 
because that's just super expensive and there's no need, right? At some point, there's a balancing point between supply and demand. The whole basis of microeconomic theory is how to balance supply and demand to maximize profits. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just, it's just when you use this, you know, these equations to to extract from people who need medicine, like Screlly did, right? Then that's bad. So you can ex- you can take this to such an extreme that it's immoral, but um, but otherwise limiting supply to create uh, scarcity to maximize profits is the bread and butter of capitalism. Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt this podcast to tell you about Interchain FM Steak. Interchain FM is not only a podcast, but also a steakhouse. IFM Steak is a premium, sushi-grade steakhouse running on osmosis, umi, and comdex. If you get your alpha from this podcast, show us some love by delegating to Interchain FM Steak. Okay, so you're saying that consumer chains should charge more bips, or, you know, basis points for the security that the Cosmos Hub offers. I would rephrase. I would say that the Cosmos Hub, you know, validator set offering what I would call validator as a service, like basically EC2 kind of, but, you know, for blockchains. The Cosmos Hub validator set should, I believe it should ideally allow consumer chains to run on this platform, you know, I, in the long run, it should be somewhat permissionless. So there's like a market where uh, if a blockchain can pay, then it runs on this platform. But what I'm saying is there should be limits on who can run a blockchain. You, you know, not every Joe should be able to come up to the Cosmos Hub validator set and say, hey, all, all 100, you know, whatever, 70, five right now. I don't know. All, all of you, you have to run my blockchain too, even though it's not generating any revenue. That's not right. So there needs to be some limits in the Cosmos Hub validator sets should be able to define the terms so that it's profitable. So yeah, let's look at USDC, for instance. So USDC is not a newly launched token, meaning that their total supply is constrained to their, you know, whatever their economic model is, right? Like whatever have custody in their treasury for every USDC that's lent out. So, you know, that being said, that means that Circle needs to allocate a budget to provide a stipend for validators running this chain. Yeah. I mean, look, uh, I think a consumer chain, ideally in the long run, I imagine that these consumer chains just need to figure out, you know, someone needs to pay for it. Just like an EC2, you know, it's like someone ultimately has to pay for it, whether it's the, the financial department or whether it's the, a single person. You could even automate the thing so that through the application itself, right, they don't do this right now, but it doesn't matter who pays, right? As long as someone's paid for the machine. And same in blockchain. Like if USDC, a centralized entity offering something, uh, on the blockchain, then if they're paying, then great. If they stop paying, then we stop running the chain. Simple as that. Outside of USDC, though, the idea is most of the chains that are going to opt for ICS are going to be new and unproven chains. So I guess that would put the onus on the hub validators as well as governance to decide whether a new chain is worthy of being secured or not. In the beginning, yeah. I can see that in the beginning, but you know, once we have ICS running on the Cosmos Hub, 
I guess the next step should be eventually to say, oh, if anyone bonds enough or pays enough of a deposit, it'll just happen automatically. From my understanding, this is actually the way that interchange security is being proposed in the Adder 2 point paper. There is something, yeah, in, in the way that they justify, oh, you know, the they say ICS, interchange security, so it's going to allow the inflation rate to not be so high. So, so they admit that this is a thing. So, yeah, you know, the problem is, yeah, you're right. I mean, the Adam 2.0 paper largely includes these elements, but then it also, you know, is inconsistent with itself. And, you know, ultimately the whole papers, you know, mostly trying to justify a large amount of treasury, a large amount of inflation, half a billion dollars going into a treasury. That's not governed. That's not the community uh, pool. Right. right. How do we know? What, what process is there to ensure that the treasury council members, say, are properly chosen? There's no discussion about that. And, and you know, to say that, oh, well, just uh, it's okay because the governance is going to have to approve it is not sufficient. Because what's likely to happen is there's going to be some insider group that forms. Honestly, it already exists. And they will, in secret, agree on who it should be before they come out with a proposal, right? It's going to be a political system with backroom dealings. It's what it's going to be. Well, Jay, you've just described human interaction and politics at scale. You know, but the reason why Bitcoin is number one it's because it removes that. So here's what we should really do. We should get rid of the uh, mint transaction feature. We should we should stop trying to solve problems by inflating through governance. It was a huge mistake. Let's get rid of it. Let's have a constitution that says, here are some immutable rules in our constitution. You can't even change these. And say, you can't mint anymore besides you know the, uh, the mechanism that already exists. I have a an excerpt from Keynes about inflation, so I'm just going to read it. So I retweeted this. This came at a timely, just in time. It says Lenin is said to have declared that the best way to destroy the capitalist system was to debauch the currency by a continuing process of inflation. Governments can confiscate secretly and unobserved an important part of the wealth of their citizens. By this method, they not only confiscate, but they confiscate arbitrarily. And while the process impoverishes many, it actually enriches some. The sight of this arbitrary rearrangement of riches strikes not only at security, but at confidence in the equity of the existing distribution of wealth. Those to whom the system brings windfalls beyond their deserts and even beyond their expectations or desires become profiteers who are the object of the hatred of the bourgeoisie whom the inflationism has impoverished, not less than of the proletariat. As the inflation proceeds and the real value of the currency fluctuates wildly from month to month, all permanent relations between debtors and creditors which form the ultimate foundation of capitalism become so utterly disordered as to be almost meaningless and the process of wealth getting degenerates into a gamble and a lottery. Lenin was certainly right. There is no subtler, no surer means of overturning the existing basis of society than to debauch the currency. The process engages all the hidden forces of economic law on the side of destruction and does it in a manner which not one man in a million is able to diagnose. 
Yeah, you got it. That's what it is. It's a ring of power and whoever holds it, I mean, you don't even have to hold it. It will draw people in to hold it. So better chuck it into fire before it happens. That's what's happening right now. The temptation is too great if something like this were to pass. But the other thing is, you know, just looking at Bitcoin governance and Ethereum governance, it, it took years before anything were to take place, right? Bitcoin scaling debates lasted for, you know, what felt like a decade, you know, but it ran over, you know, three to five years until finally one proposal won out. And even then it was difficult for it to pass and it became ugly and, mm -hmm. you know, people fought wars and, you know, other people forked away. And the same with Ethereum, right? With, with the DAO hack, as soon as Vitalik swept in and said, okay, you know, all the exchanges, stop what you're doing, stop, you know, halt transactions and uh, we're going to fix this thing and then we're going to hard fork. That really shook the confidence of Ethereum for some. So similar thing happened with Juno with uh, their Prop 16. And, you know, right now something similar is being proposed for the Cosmos Hub. So just for, for people who are decentralization minded, this is a change in issuance is, is never palatable. I mean, it shakes the confidence in the system because it shakes up the social contract that a lot of people originally signed with the mm -hmm. project. But to me, you know, interchain security is doesn't seem contentious. And liquid staking does help, you know, buttress the, the provisions that you're supposed to get. But the thing is with liquid staking, Jake, how do you even prevent that from happening? Because somebody could just build it. And, okay. you know, if people use it, then it's just going to be a thing. You know, that's the other thing I was going to suggest is um, I would I would love to see a minimal, super conservative hub along the spirits of Bitcoin that removes the mint transaction, perhaps even... And, and when you say the mint transaction, what do you mean? Are you talking about... The ability to inflate atoms out of the default. But how would you do that? You just delete the mint transaction function. <laughs> Wait, wouldn't that be a hard fork itself? Well, I mean, it depends. Uh, if if governance itself agrees this is what we should do, then it can just be a software upgrade transaction. Would that be a change in the social contract? Yes, it would be a change in the social contract. Okay. Yeah. That itself would be contentious as well. Yeah, yeah, it would be contentious. But, you know, like, uh, I guess what, what I'm trying to say, one of the things I'm trying to say is that when there's like such a fundamental difference in values, core values, in principles, it's uh, it's not a bad time to leave, as in it's not a bad time to, okay, you don't even have to leave. It's not a bad time to ensure that there's an alternative, you know, because there's going to be, you know, an indefinite amount of arguing internally between people who will never reconcile their views because people who believe that uh, the mint feature is important, necessary, we're not, you know, we should maximize, we should go all in on liquid staking. These people will never be able to reconcile with the people who say the opposite, that we should be more conservative, that we shouldn't, we shouldn't inflate tokens, and that, uh, and even, we shouldn't even have liquid staking, okay? These are two different camps, they're always going to be battling each other, it makes more sense for there to be two different towns, and we'll see which one's better through evolution, and there's nothing wrong with that. For the people who want to stay, for the people who, you know, believe in in the atom and want utility to be imbued within it. How do you balance maximally conservative hub with utility? Well, 
you know, like uh, like what I mentioned with interchain security. Okay, so interchain security is a way. I think uh, everyone agrees that interchain security is the killer application for the Cosmos Hub without needing to fold in all these, you know, other bells and whistles that may or may not strictly improve the hub's performance. The proposal that that I'm trying to push is, can it be possible that the next proposals just decouple a lot of these things and we get signaling for, you know, each new feature that's being added? My problem with Atom 2.0 is that it's very similar with um, like how, you know, infrastructure bills and just, just how bills are proposed in U.S. Congress. And I'm sorry to the people who are non-U.S. I understand there is a world outside of the U.S., but it's just the world that I pay attention to and, and like can speak more of. So, you know, it's just that there's non-contentious things that are proposed in bills. And then there's just like all this other stuff that's that's like also there. So, you know, it's like all or nothing. It's binary, you know. So, girl. Yeah, so so that's a problem, right? You know, we're we're trying to build systems that improve upon the old status quo, and and right now it seems like we're kind of just mirroring the same processes that that yeah. are there. Honestly, it's because um, we'll keep getting this for as long as we have too much emphasis on on governance. I want to get back to this, but I want to answer a question you mentioned earlier: How can you stop liquid staking or limit it? So the answer is. Uh, you need to do one thing, which will do 99%. I might even fix the problem, definitely. So that is you limit interchain account staking. So you say you can't stake through interchain accounts. That'll solve most of the problem. There's one more thing that you might have to do, and I think we should wait and see if this becomes a problem. And, and even saying that we will wait and see until this becomes a problem and fix it when it becomes a problem itself might solve the problem. But that is, you might have to choose the cryptographic scheme that doesn't allow signature aggregation. Through okay. the cryptography itself, you could you could allow multiple people to come together and sign stuff. But you know, uh, actually, it's not even going to be the problem. So if, in other words, if you, if you stop interchain account staking, you've solved the problem. There's no more liquid staking. So that would be a question of, I guess, that's an implementation question, right? Because you just don't yeah. add that as a possibility in interchain accounts. Depending on how it's implemented now, yeah, you might have to, you might, yeah, whatever. It's it's not hard. Yeah, Jay, what do you think about osmosis's superfluid staking or interfluid staking rather? So the idea is my validator is building that interfluid staking and the current design is going to be through a Cosmosm contract. Cosmosm contract with a go wrapper for the module and then what we're saying is in order to enable this you need to like have this or like run this cosmosm contract on your chain so it's not this automated interchain accounts cross-chain staking it's that you, like you need to do something as a chain and be able to reason about like the risks that you're taking in by enabling this right so like we're increasing the barrier to entry for you know, something like that, which is like a more, like a better way to do liquid staking in a non-naive way to do liquid staking without interchain accounts. I, I don't know. I mean, interchain accounts kind of gives you enough flexibility. So I don't see why you would want to solve it in a different way. 
because we we just established that interchain doing liquid staking through interchain accounts is is too it means that we're going to have rampant liquid staking protocols so you just said that liquid staking is through interchain accounts is risky right yeah okay that i am but i've also been saying that in liquid staking itself is risky like altogether like not even alternate yeah. designs okay well what what about the photon because the photon is like just another liquid staking model. No, I wouldn't call it liquid staking. It, you know, in some sense it is, but really it's only, it only seems like liquid staking because that's how it needs to be implemented. Here, here's what I mean. And by the way, whether or not photon is interesting, you know, I think photon is interesting. I'm not, you know, necessarily pushing for it because you don't need the photon token or to make the Cosmos Hub work. But if you do implement the photon, I can see many, you know, it opening many more doors, and uh, and I can see that's quite quite powerful, and and people misunderstand it. Well, first of all, to mint a photon, do you have to burn or do you lock up atoms? The name needs to change because I'm using the name photon for a lot of things, and it's causing confusion. All right. So the latest version, let's call it uh, deflationary atoms. That's what it is. Okay. So. Yeah, originally I was proposing that we burn atoms. Before that, I was proposing we just fork and copy the atom distribution. But I realized there's a there's a way to make it all work that's much better, which is you you bond your atoms. So you you don't bond your atoms towards a validator in particular. In fact, you don't you don't bond it towards any validator. That's the idea, and you get this uh, this other token. The idea is that there's a maximum number of these deflationary atoms that there can possibly exist. In other words, if you were to bond all of the atoms that are staked or not staked, that are staked to the validators or not, or free moving, if you were to take all those atoms and bond them towards deflationary atoms, then you would have exactly 1 billion deflationary atoms. How is the creation of this bonded atom done? It will be with a new transaction type that says, um, you know, bond towards deflationary atoms or, you know, we should come up with a different Okay, so, so I need to bond my atom in order to mint the deflationary atom. Yeah, in order to mint the deflationary tokens. Yep, that's the idea. You know, really, you know, the best way to understand this is to flip it on its head because right now we've got atoms that are, you know, that are inflating, right? But, you know, what this deflationary atom system is, is there's just two ways to look at it. You can look at it from one side or the other. You know, it's like two sides of a coin. You can say there are one billion of these deflationary tokens. And some of these, you can choose to turn them into inflationary atoms to participate in Cosmos upstaking. And so let's say 25% of the deflationary token holders choose to participate in atom hub staking, then 25% of the market cap essentially is is doing their thing in the Cosmos hub staking world. And we can have this exponential inflation going on in the Cosmos hub staking portion within 25% of the market cap. It can do whatever we want with the atom token, inflate it. In other words, for example, if in the staking world, staking portion, 25% of the market cap of the total system, we were to increase the supply of the inflationary atom token by 100%, 
then the value of um, of the atom token of the inflationary atom token would decrease. So it, it you know becomes half of its value, roughly speaking. But everything else outside the system would remain the same. If that makes sense. You're saying that dynamics between these two tokens ultimately even itself out. Yeah, it does exactly because there is a you know there's a conversion system that preserves an invariant. So you know flipping onto the other side of the coin. In other words, every deflationary token is backed by inflationary atoms, so you can go back and forth and preserve your your wealth, so to speak. But you know, I don't want to focus on the photon token because um, it's an it's an experimental idea, and and first people have to understand it. And I can tell you know if people don't understand it, if you do understand it, then people tend to say, oh wait, you know, this is kind of cool. But like, okay, whatever, and it doesn't matter to me whether we implement this ultimately or not. I don't think right now is the right time to discuss it because really what we need to be talking about is the problems with Adam 2.0. I want to talk about why people are voting no veto. And it's because the way in which Adam 2.0 is being pushed to public is really problematic. I mean, not only is are there problems in the Adam 2.0 paper, but the proponents of the Adam 2.0 paper are deaf to the criticism of it. And yet they're all together still pushing for it. And they say things like, oh, you know, there are problems with the Adam 2.0 paper, but we should still pass it because, you know, it, it reflects the will of the community or something or whatever, you know, which doesn't make sense. If there are flaws in a proposal, you shouldn't pass it. That's like a no-brainer. You should know. If you need to, you should know a veto if it's particularly bad. So they're just saying things that are not true, that, that are detrimental to the health of the Cosmos Hub because they want this thing to pass. Outside of intentions, it's the clear read from the distribution of yeses, noes, and noes with vetoes is that you know it's it's almost 50-50 right now between yes votes and no with vetoes. I mean, you know, it's a little bit less than that, but it looks like no with veto is almost going to pass. So I understand it as there are people with legitimate concerns, same as with you, about Adam 2.0 for varying reasons. But, you know, yes votes seem to reflect that there is a strong desire and demand for Adam utility and for the Cosmos hub to be used for something and for it to somehow accrue monetary premium in some way. I think, you know, the no votes say like, yes, and, you know, yes, and we want this, but we don't want to sacrifice security, convenience, like for these things. It's also that we don't want proposals pushed like this. And we don't want to work with people who are okay with the way this thing is being done. And it's clear what the intention is. Here's another example. I really want to talk about this one. This is almost 1984. Okay. There was... um. Proposal 75, and it defines, it tries to define no with veto so that it, it can only be used for this or that, okay? And when it was proposed and pushed and accepted, they said, it's just a sentiment proposal. But what that means is nothing because once it passed, they then proponents of Adam 2.0 used it to say, you shouldn't vote no with veto on Prop 82, which is ludicrous. That's exactly what no veto is for. 
they're using a proposal that was passed previously on the wrong solution, the wrong answer, and on the premise that it was a sentiment proposal to tell people you can't veto I-82. This is how they're doing it. And then at the same time, they're saying, and 82 is just a sentiment proposal. See how this is ridiculous? They're using this is a sentiment proposal as just a catch-all phrase to say, go ahead and pass it. It's not a big deal. But that's making a mockery of the Cosmos Hub governance system. So like, and people see this and really don't like it. And why would anyone want to continue supporting this kind of behavior when it's obviously going to lead to cronyism and ultimately the destruction, catastrophic destruction of the Cosmos Hub, of being moral. It's clear to me that people are searching for leadership and in a void of leadership, people are going to follow wherever the loudest voices are. You know, that being said, glad you're back, Jay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah. You're, you're back in action, going to keep building, and we're going to keep making Cosmos stronger. Okay? Yeah, we're going to make our own, you know, movement here. We're making a movement. You know, I'm not the only one doing this. You also saw Saldo Kia, Cosmos Station. We look at everyone who's voting no veto. We're all leaders, okay, because we're fighting upstream against a giant wave. And so look at who's voting no veto and connect with them because we're the ones who are going to be able to build a solution that's better, that's good and secure. Yeah, I'm not going to stop. The whole reason why I was working on and made Tendermint and Cosmos is because I wanted to create a more accountable and transparent alternative to the financial system, which created derivatives and all kinds of engineering to create boom-bust cycles that seemed engineered in order to extract value from the people who depended on it. I'm talking about the IMF crisis in, in Asia, in South Korea. I'm talking about 2008 housing crisis. You know, these things were really bad. They kind of really affected my family, my parents. I don't want the same. I don't want the same for anyone. But that's exactly where it's going. I'm not going to be able to sleep at night for as long as the thing that I was working on gets abused to become the problem. So yeah, not going to stop. This stuff requires, you know, vigilance throughout, right? Because the natural tendency of humans is to centralize. Just like look at how the web became more centralized into this web two paradigm. You know, we centralize and, you know, grow bigger and bigger governments, not decentralized. The human tendency is not to decentralize. So it's going to be an ongoing effort to just maintain this vigilance. And, uh, you know, it requires us to call things out for what it is. It requires us to reflect on our own intentions, change our minds. Okay. I mean, it's all good. A mistake is not an error until you refuse to change your mind and fix it. So fix it. Let's fix it within ourselves. Right? Sure. One last thing that we should cover is just high level atom zero. That's not been talked about a lot, but that's also an on-chain proposal. Yeah, we have like, you know, 10 minutes left before I have to, we have to jump off. So. Sure. Okay. Well, look, I, the atom, atom zero was an attempt to kind of make the playing field even between Atom 1 and Atom 2. And it failed to do that, okay? There was a flaw in it. Someone pointed it out and I said, yeah, you're right. Atom 0 is flawed. 
So I said, let's, you know, I don't support it anymore. That's how it should be. We should say, all right, yeah, the proposal's flawed. We should do something else or go back to the drawing board. We should know, we should stop supporting things when we know that it's flawed. So that's what people need to do. So I don't, I don't really want to discuss out of zero except to say that really the intent was to raise the bar for new proposals, to accept proposals that change fundamental things like tokenomics. That was the intent. And, you know, because the Adam 1 Constitution itself, my proposal for a constitution, basically says that's what we need. We need to raise the bar in order to change the constitution. I didn't want to be hypocritical, you know, just try to pass a constitution with only a simple majority so that the solution to fix this, you know, hypocritical aspect is to apply the same high level of bar to both proposals. That's why I created a minimal constitution called Adam Zero to apply to both Adam One and Adam Two. But, you know, it wasn't the right approach and people didn't understand it, didn't like it, it was too quick, just doomed from the beginning, whatever. Now we have to focus on Adam Two. You know, Cosmos voting turnout is just higher than any other governance DAP anywhere, if you look at it. So, yeah, like voting has been a problem in every other thing. Like if you look at Ethereum and how signaling proposals went, like voter turnout was maybe like 4%. And in Cosmos, it's just everyone's super engaged. So that's the silver lining. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm an optimist here. May I say one more thing? Yes. This is um, PSA. In the way no veto is implemented in code, the way it is right now, if you want 82 to be stopped, you have to vote no veto. And voting no or abstain actually makes this worse. This is a flaw in the way the veto system works. But even if you abstain, if you vote abstain, it's worse than if you don't vote at all. Even if you vote no, it's worse than if you don't vote at all. So if you voted no or abstain and you know you don't intend to make it harder for Prop 82 to be vetoed, please change your vote to no veto. That's all. Thanks for tuning in to Interchain FM. As always, I will read through the pages of white papers and condense only the alpha for you in a one hour long digest. Be sure to subscribe to Chango and Chain's YouTube channel to be up to date about the latest technology and never miss a live streamed episode.